Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hey, hey, welcome to the Ethics Experts. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you are a returning subscriber, hey, friend, hope you have an amazing day. You look amazing today, and I appreciate you. You see what happens when you join the Ethics Experts? You get a bonus greeting on every single episode. I am here with my main man, Nakis Urfi, compliance officer at Babylon, good friend, ethics, uh, ethics verse, participant, thought leader, uh, AI expert. This guy's amazing. So we're going to have a great episode today. Been super excited to get you on this week, man. How's it going? Hey, Nick. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, it was a great, great uh, ethics verse session and look forward to our podcast today. You should have heard that. I mean, I shared it with you, but the uh, the response we got from that session um, about AI was uh, phenomenal. And there was, um, you know, some people said it was the best one that we've ever had, which is high, high praise, by the way. Um, but it was, the, and there were so many other topics that we didn't even get to talk about that I had like lined up to, to dive, dive into not the least of which is this chat GPT thing, which is really popping off. It's like they split the atom and uh, we could talk for a whole hour about uh, about that. So um, why don't you give us a rundown of what that is, what you know about it and how you think this is good. I mean, this could revolutionize everything. Yeah, yeah. About uh, open chat, you know, it's, it's based off of, uh, you know, different things that is feeding from the Internet. And it's it's really there's so many ethical considerations also that are yeah. going to stem from it. We haven't even possibly encountered all the, you know, thought about all the use cases. Just think about uh, in terms of education now and, um, who, you know, writing essays and plagiarism, you know, how do you start to detect that? Um, also in terms of, uh, I was speaking to a gentleman actually yesterday who was talking about, would it be value, a valuable product to have a uh, kind of kind of like a plugin that tells you whether something you're reading from the internet is written by AI or not, mm. you know, would that be valuable to know if it's artificial or not, or actually a human wrote it? So th there's a lot of different considerations coming out, Nick. Um, it's it's just an interesting world we live in. Well, my son has a. Uh, I'm sure his teacher is not listening to this, so I'm happy to share this. Uh, he's in fourth grade, and he has a report that he has to write about Alexander Graham Bell, who invented the telephone. And we plugged it in to um, ChatGPT and said, hey, write us an essay of X amount of words uh, about Alexander Graham Bell in a fourth grade style. And it was like right on. It was crazy. It was absolutely yeah. nuts. And Yeah, yeah. And I told my wife, and she was, of course, horrified. We didn't turn it in, wink, wink. Um, we, we, we truly didn't, but, um, I started kind of thinking about like, what is the future going to look like for these guys? And I remember when I was in, you know, high school, I had teachers that wouldn't want us, you know, for reports that, that we had to write, don't use internet sources. We had to go and yeah. learn how to use the, the library, yeah, uh, the to books. do our research. And now nobody, no, nobody cares about that. And think about how my grandmother would look at my handwriting and say how terrible it is. And I was yeah. like, well, I don't need to write. I, uh, I just type. And, yeah. you know, is that going to be sort of a picture of how our children's lives are going to be in terms of interacting with AI? Maybe they're not going to need to learn how to write essays. They're just going to have to need, they're just going to need to know how to speak to the AI and feed it the right, you know, prompts to get the outputs that we want. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's a really interesting consideration. Um, yeah, you have to think about, uh, you know, AI should be used as a tool to uh, augment and supplement our, our lives and make it better. You know, that that's hopefully the, the, the goal here. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there's so many use cases that, you know, eventually we can start using in our own businesses mm -hmm. uh, to help start up, you know, different uh, projects or even policies that we might have to write. Why start from scratch? You know, you just have such a great tool here. Um, more and more philosophically thinking about for society, there, there, there's this concept I've heard before, you know, th think about replacing books and we're reading less, and, yeah. you know, almost the dumbing down of society. And so that's, that's kind of my concern is the less we have to use common sense and even know how to, you know, figure out directions when we're walking around because we have, you know, GPS oh, on our phone. Great point. Now, if we don't have to even read books and, you know, look up information, everything's just right there. There is pause for concern about, you know, dumbing down society and getting too dependent and then long-term effects too. That's a great point. Um, that like map thing is such a... Uh it's such a picture of what you're kind of talking about or what kind of the pitfalls could be from a straight up dumbing down society perspective. You know, back in the day, if you were a, um, you know, somebody was telling me about this, they were like a pizza man, a pizza guy, pizza d delivery guy, and they just had a big yeah. map and they had to like look for, <laughs> look for the location and figure out how to get there. And now you don't have to do that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. And Nick, something just to jump on that just clicked in my head. Um, Using, I just saw the show with uh, Chris uh, Hemsworth, or you know the the Thor yeah. character, and uh, he has a show on Discovery, and um, one one of the things that they were talking about Limitless was oh uh, yeah yeah when you use your brain for these type of activities, it actually increased the elasticity and you know um, is is really positive for you and your health and to limit um, you know mental diseases down the road like Alzheimer's or dementia. And so that there's an interesting health aspect too of using your oh, brain wow. to figure out things and making those connections, especially when you're out in nature and having to figure out things and then even reading. And yeah. so, you know, just there's a lot of different uh, possibilities here that we haven't thought about, similar to think about social media. And it was, it was supposed to be great in connecting society and making us more integrated and connected. And then, you know, it made us more depressed and lonely. And then you start thinking about metaverse and virtual reality and long-term implications we haven't even thought about. And even now, uh, open, open chat, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there's the, uh, there are those laws of thermodynamics and, you know, um, I don't know, everything has an e e equal and opposite reaction. You know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And, you know, I, um, you see it everywhere, you know, the social media example you just gave, or you see it in, even in just like high finance, we now have these tools that allow us to run massive spreadsheets and so forth. It's not like the alpha that's generated by these investments is like materially higher. The standard deviation is wider and, you know, the offsetting, um, there's offsetting problems for every new kind of innovation that comes out, it seems. So it's a kind of a crazy time to be alive. I think um, we're going to look back though on this, you know, birth of AI or whatever it is, um, it's just really wild. I mean, the level of adoption, the, the the number of users using it is like well beyond, you know, the rate of Facebook or any of these other sort of like technological advances that have been watershed, you know, in retrospect, watershed moments for a new era. And uh, it's pretty, it's going to be pretty interesting and, you know, perhaps pretty scary to see where we end up going. But anyways, um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of your background, because I think you have a really in interesting background. 
um, you're kind of at the cutting edge of a lot of interesting things. You know, you work in the healthcare space, you have a background of, you know, being a CMS consultant. Before that, let's back up. How did you get to where you're at? Tell us, tell us your story on how you wound up in the ethics and compliance game. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be in healthcare and actually I uh, was studying to be more in the, you know, healthcare professional field and ended up realizing, um, you know, organic chemistry, some of those classes were not for me. So I realized I wanted to get more into law and still have a focus in healthcare and make an impact. And so like you had thought maybe doctor. you wanted to be a doctor or something. Uh, pharmacist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, growing up, I really didn't know what I wanted to be. And so I just, you know, had to pick something and went from there and ended up getting a law degree and a master's in public health. And I started out as a healthcare attorney representing healthcare professionals with their licensing issues. Mm. So protecting their licenses in front of boards, uh, due to allegations or, uh, you know, misconduct. And um, so that was going good, more administrative type law, uh, working with boards, uh, you know, with doctors, nurses, medical students, and even attorneys themselves. And uh, mm -hmm. when I was in law school, I knew uh, compliance was a, uh, was a good field and a growing field and interested me. And so uh, I, you know, I, I networked a lot and I remember I'm, I'm getting a little nitty gritty here, but uh, I, I went to a networking event where there was a bunch of uh, attorneys and uh, there was one person that uh, was a lawyer that worked for the company that was there that I approached. And I ended up, you know, getting a referral, submitting my resume, getting hired within two weeks. And, you know, wow. the rest was history with healthcare compliance. But that was after a long period of networking, you know, but, yeah. you, you know, you, 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 all that all that work gets put into there. And uh, yeah, from there, I, I worked uh, in a healthcare insurance company that um, had multiple lines of business, including Medicare Advantage, which is the most regulated healthcare insurance that we have in the US. And we were actually under a corporate integrity agreement with the Office of Inspector General mm. for illegal sales and marketing practices. And not that any company wants to be under a corporate integrity agreement with the government, but as a compliance professional, that really gave me um some really good perspective and understanding of what the government expects is a robust compliance program we have to interact directly with them and uh, we have to have an independent review organization come and uh, audit us on site so what'd you learn so about that what'd you learn in that that experience because yeah. that's an experience that i think you get to carry with you for a long time to get into the head of uh, the regulators and really see what it is they're looking for what were your biggest takeaways and what were your biggest sort of light bulb moments or surprises yeah, to me it was, it was, it was, it was this the 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 level of expectations of the government and how it was one of my first experiences, and that's what I jumped into, and yeah. so that's what, so to me that was like oh this is compliance compliance helps out the organization with so many different things is involved in a lot of different things, um, is tracking different things as well. Yeah. And, you know, I had a holistic view of the whole organization actually through the requirements of this, uh, corporate integrity agreement from, you know, our financial statements to the, you know, the, the org structure to, um, making sure everyone did their training and there was no, there was no leeway here. It wasn't that, you know, 95% or 96% was going to cut it. It was, 
if there was one or two people that didn't do the training, we had to explain every single encounter and why they didn't do the training. And there was training for the board. Um, and so it was just so robust in its nature, even changes in our policies, we had to track it in red lines and provide it to the government wow. for, for a certain department. And so it got so nitty gritty that, you know, it also thinking about it now, documentation is key. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just you hear about that. If, if it's not documented, it didn't happen, especially in compliance, you want to have your story, um, you know, and you want to have your story, even if you know, it might not be a good story. You want to have a story and be prepared to anticipate what others might think when you give it, uh, give information to them. And so that's kind of what it trained me to see how every year when we submit an annual report, which was this big document and how the, the office of inspector general would ask us certain questions. It started to train me on how to respond with government entities and uh, kind of expect, you know, what they might be thinking and try to anticipate it long term. You just said you want to have your story. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> you want to, you know, you when you respond to um, partners or clients or the government or say even in a Think about it even like in when you're submitting a proposal to when you work. Um, you kind of want to have some type of story that you're telling where, you know, you show yourself in the best light and make it very positive. You know, they talk about that in interviews using the star method where you, you express, you know, the situation and then show how you're a star. And similarly, there's opportunities uh, when you're interacting with someone else to highlight many good things that you've done and show that you're trying to do the right thing. And if you can show a lot of credibility and positive movement with the actions you're taking, and you can mention these type of things, mm -hmm. uh, you don't even have to brag about it. Just, you know, and, and then we did this and, you know, because we thought it was in the best interest and we implemented this new thing, you know, just matter of the fact when you did these type of things or next year, we're going to look into this. Right. Um, these type of things go far away, you know, because somebody's reading this document and they're going to make an impression. You know, I, I audited. So, so after the after the healthcare insurance company, I uh, I worked um, for Booz Allen Hamilton and served as a CMS uh, regulator in CMS program audits where mm. health plans could get suspended from enrolling new uh, patient members or multi million dollar fines. And I could tell, you know, during audits when somebody some organization had their story and um had a really tight uh processes or they were kind of weak you know like you could just tell right off the back you know like first impressions um just interacting with people and similarly so when you're submitting documents you know the same thing you can you can start to tell like this 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 company has it together or they don't have it together and so that's kind of uh kind of what i'm trying to relate there yeah and i mean telling those stories i think sometimes we forget that the people we're talking to don't have all the context and what an interesting, easy, simple, um, tool to help convey the information that, that we end up kind of leaving, uh, many times by the wayside and just dumping a big report to somebody and they don't have any context and they spend all this sort of mental energy just trying to get to, uh, the answer that can maybe be, uh, fast forwarded to, um, <coughs> pardon me. When you were a CMS, um, program reviewer. That's a very interesting uh, scenario. How did you get that job? And what did you, you know, what was your high point in that job? What did you really love about it? 
Yeah, so it was a really great experience because working in the private industry before that, you always wonder what the government is doing in the right. back end. Have they, have they really thought about the real life implications that an organization has to undertake based on these regulations that then has downstream impacts on people, especially in healthcare? And so um, my experiences working as a government contractor and consultant, um, I, I really value that time that I spent um, with CMS and also Sosayo um, and some other government agencies and healthcare. Um, it, it just kind of came about from my experiences in Medicare Advantage and healthcare insurance that led me into a couple of Medicare Advantage contracts including in marketing and communications, and then uh, provider directory analysis. And then I was able to get on a contract um, that was doing the CMS program audits. And I remember being in the healthcare insurance side, this is a big deal. You know, you, you talk about audit readiness, there's audit protocols that the government CMS releases every year, and you start testing and preparing uh, all your operational areas to be prepared for these audits. And you do mock audits. I remember we spent a decent amount of money hiring a, a external consultant to perform a mock audit because we knew the stakes are high in these type of audits. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, my, my high point uh, at Booz Allen was really actually going beyond just uh, going beyond just the, the the doing the actual work. I started to actually uh, manage some of the contract and the financials and staffing. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, and got to the point where um, I became a, a lead auditor and was running uh, the Part D side, dealing with pharmaceutical drugs audit. And uh, you know, I, sometimes I got the imposter syndrome. I'm like, what am, what am I doing here? How yeah. am I, how am I auditing these large, you know, national chains and healthcare insurance companies? Am I supposed to be here? Who let me in the door? But, um, you know, and then the flip side was like, no, I know what I'm doing. I know what's supposed to, what, what's what's supposed to happen, what's not, you know, and, you know, there's it's not like, you, you know, you have set criteria as well and you have your principles. And so, yeah, it, it was a really great experience, Nick. And um, I, I got to see a lot. Uh, one other thing I'll add was uh, I also got to see how the government deals with public comments. Um, you know, so you wonder sometimes, you know, I sent a public comment uh, during a comment period, what does the government do? And so I was able to work on that as well and see how they react to certain entities that submit a bunch of comments. So, yeah, it was a really great experience seeing how the government worked uh, more closely. What do you what do you think most people would be surprised by by that? Like, I think, you know, a lot of folks I talk to, they're very scared of CMS. They don't want to get in trouble. They're very worried about that. Um, what do you think people like on average sort of have wrong? Like what is their biggest misconception about that whole game? That's see, you know, that the government in general is one big entity that works together that knows exactly what's happening. Just like in an organization, there's so many different silos in the government. Sometimes depending on the agency, there's even much more silos. And so you know, there could be a agency that audits and has the ability to enforce penalties, but then there's a agency that might be able to create the laws and, you know, to always, uh, you know, or implement guidance. And so, and then there's so many different sub departments with their own subject matter experts 
Right. Uh, that interaction and the, you know, are they double checking that, you know, they're all coordinated? Um, you know, it, it can, it can get, there's really this messy. assumption that it's this like, well oiled machine and what you're kind of describing is it's a little bit messier than people might, uh, expect. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be negative on any entity or anything. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast totally. that happens in public and private world. Uh, and you know, there's levels of turnover, and sometimes in the government, actually, there's there's hiring freezes, and so there, there's extra nuances here, uh, and, and the administrations have an impact. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a Republican administration or a Democratic uh, administration, there's a there's a almost a, I don't like the terminology, but a trickle down effect on you know how the agencies also operate uh, based on who's in charge. When you were auditing, what were you looking for? Let me ask it also maybe perhaps a different way. Um, we help people with a lot of their sanction screening. And I'm about to say something to you and you tell me if this uh, this is correct or you think it's way off base. Obviously, we need to make sure that we're not uh, reimbursing and you know allowing people or submitting for reimbursement procedures done by people that have been sanctioned, right? Obviously, we yeah. can't do that. We don't want to do that. I, from what I understand and other folks that I've spoken with, the government recognizes, though, that this is a very dirty process, that the data is very dirty, and what they're really looking for is a, um, a genuine effort to try to uncover the wrongdoing, that we're actually really, what we're really looking for is, do we have a coherent process, a cohesive process that is consistently applied over time that has a reasonable likelihood to uncover and prevent the types of risks that we're talking about. I think that's how it works. I talk to people though, who kind of um, are focused, like they have like too much fear about this process, about this whole thing. What would you tell somebody? um, Well, what would you say sort of to what I'm saying? And if I'm right about it, what would you say to somebody else who is like literally driving to work with a knot in their stomach, worried about, you know, somebody making their way through the nets. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And I, I definitely agree with uh, your principle that you've shared. You have to have a methodology and you have to be able to explain your methodology. And if you can show that you are making efforts in the right direction, that goes a long way. Um, you know, the, the, there's even this concept, I'm sure you probably talked about it with other other experts in the field uh, about this topic about um, you know the the recent DOJ uh, guidance and mm-hmm. you know the, this concept that even you could have an effective compliance program you could say you have a robust compliance program there's still going to be wrongdoing there's still going to be mistakes um, but you know are those one offs that you know just kind of came about in its own instance and. You know, and in those type of circumstances, the government will still say, you know, or they've said that they'll view that as, you know, not actually negating your overall compliance effectiveness. Uh, these type of things will happen. You know, if a bad actor wants to do something, they could take take very far steps to do some wrongdoing that could counteract even, you know, some really good compliance uh, process. And so, yeah, with sanction screening, I think that, that's that's exactly, you know, you you try to do as much as you can. You know, you're talking about some compliance departments might be really small. Yeah, right. You know, or, you know, there, there's software 
but sometimes there might be limitations to the software. What about when there's duplicate uh, matches of the same name and you know you have to do some more do due diligence and all that good stuff and how far do you go? Um, and so it's, it's really like to a uh, method to the madness, having that process where you can explain things down the road. I, I think that's, that's something I try to, I try to practice Nick is, uh, just being able to explain the actions that you did at that time. So, you know, I yeah. think one thing that people would be surprised and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one thing that people would be surprised to, uh, understand is that the government, these auditors, whoever you're at risk of getting in trouble with, they're really a lot more reasonable than we fear. And if there's genuine, to your point, genuine efforts being, you know, taken, right, to try to prevent something, and to your point, point from before, if we're backing those up or wrapping those efforts around a story of, like, how I got here and what I've tried before and what's not working, all those things can lead to uh, a much different outcome than you otherwise, otherwise might arrive at. Because, you know, what I always say is that the biggest opportunity we have from an audit perspective is that there's a human being auditing you, usually, right? Yeah. And there, you have, a, you have a, a chance and you have an opportunity, again, assuming this is not like about hoodwinking guys, this is about conveying to them, like, hey, I'm genuinely putting these efforts forward, and you're, I just think you're going to get credit for that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. At the end of the day, if you ended up paying uh, money to entity or person that wasn't supposed to be paid you're going to have some consequences, but, you know, sharing that methodology and the practices will definitely, as we know now, you know, the government will take it into account and mitigate any penalties or issues that come about. And, you know, it's interesting. We can go beyond san sanction screenings, um, but th there's so many different rules and regulations and th the world is changing so fast. And sometimes businesses are starting to get into new business models very quickly. Right especially say in startups sometimes, or even large entities. And it hit me some time ago. I'm like, there might be X percentage of rules that I'm not even sure, you know, may apply to us that we're even following, you know? And so like, uh, right. you know, and it's like, you do have to do your risk assessment and what's priority, figure it out and have, have a method to the madness. So you did CMS for a while. Where did you go from there? And what are the biggest sort of tools that are still in your toolbox from that whole experience? Yeah. And after CMS, um, I, uh, and uh, the, uh, the government consulting, I, uh, I thought I was going to be a Medicare compliance officer. I thought I was going to be in healthcare insurance. That's what I knew. Um, and, uh, there was this opportunity at Babylon and, product compliance officer, didn't know what it meant. This company had reached out to me before, wasn't actually interested and um, for a different role. And uh, I thought, you know what, um, I'm just gonna put my hat in the ring and see what happens. And I was actually interviewing for Medicare compliance officer positions and healthcare insurance positions. And um, yeah, you know, it just started to make a lot more sense to me. The, the mission of trying to increase uh, affordable and health uh, accessible healthcare for all uh, in a global setting uh, at Babylon. In addition to its technology focus, um, I just found it very appealing to me. I wanted to give it a try. I thought now is the time to get on this technology curve rather than 10 years from now. And so I took the jump and I joined Babylon. I've been there, uh, here over two years now. 
And uh, it's been a great and very enlightening ride. And um, the one thing I can take from my previous experiences is really that that lens of how is the government going to view the actions that right. you take. And, you know, and, and we were a startup that went public last year. And, um, you know, every company has its own different uh, risk tolerance level and everything and how they approach different situations. And so having that lens of, oh, you know, uh, this is your company's risk profile, understanding how the government would view it. You can marry the two together and say, well, yeah, you know, like maybe in some organizations that have a lower risk tolerance, we wouldn't consider this. Right. But based on how our company's culture is and risk tolerance and how the government may view this, you have this amount of risk. But, you know, uh, you do have to move forward with lots of decisions with the level of risk. And so, yeah, that's that's really my 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 risk understanding and understanding of how the government may view things has, uh, has been critical here. What process, what process did you go through to assess the organization's level of risk tolerance and what adjustments did you have to do to your own sort of view of the world to make sure that you weren't being sort of like overly onerous with the recommendations you were giving and also not like, and still at, you know, at the same time, not being too kind of loosey goosey with it. Yeah, that's that's um, that's a that, that I I believe that's a process that gets refined, possibly every week, every day. Just all the time. Uh, you're just constantly kind of yeah, yeah. About it's, that. it's yeah. it's like it's like your own mind's algorithm. Yeah, right. And every time you're making a decision, you're 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 getting new information and you're making new calculations. Um, yeah, it, it really obviously if you're new to a company, um, you want to get a pulse for the leadership and the culture and how your supervisor and peers um, engage in their own decision-making in the organization, what's the process, uh, who has to approve things and what type of things are they approving? How deep do they get into the regulations and comparing it to the operational uh, impact and the level of risk here? Um, you know, there's some organizations that take a, I'll give you an example, a specific example. Uh, um, for example, the, the anti-kickback safe harbors that came out a couple of years ago for value-based care, it gave the opportunity for organizations to do some more innovative uh, uh, initiatives for patients. However, I've heard this uh, through the industry is there'll be some companies that will move forward and try to engage in these new rules and try to make some things happen because um, they find it beneficial for the organization and their beneficiaries and customers. And then there'll be possibly sometimes uh, a same amount or larger group of entities that will take the wait and see approach where they're like, hey, um, this is all great, but this is very gray. We don't want to get in trouble here. Uh, we're not going to try to engage in this until we see some more clarity. And so you, you can start to see from your leaders and the decisions that they're making and what's interesting uh, interest them to see you know, your, your, your risk tolerance, how much you want to get into new things. Uh, what, what's the culture? Do they, do they want no's or, you know, do they accept no's or will they just override the no's mm -hmm. or will they work collaboratively to understand and get to the yes, that's, uh, best interest of the organization. That's also taking into account risk. Um, so yeah, all these different calculations and factor come into play. I have like a great eye for people, I think, uh, if I to, can toot my own horn. And very quickly, when I met you, I recognized you to be kind of a next-gen ethics and compliance person. You're a next-gen person that recognizes 
the role and the value that a compliance officer can play from a business perspective, not just in terms of keeping folks out of, out of, out of jail, keeping the company out of trouble, but in truly kind of creating a, a culture of uh, integrity, um, clear lines around the field so guys know what's inbounds and out of bounds. How was, like, tell me about your path to that light bulb turning on for you and how do you think we can help accelerate other people in roles like yours or other people in our audience, whether they're in HR or they're in employee relations or they're, they're, they're in ethics and compliance to drive forward uh, and be that strategic lever in their, their company? Uh, Nick, that's that's a, first. That's a really uh, appreciate the compliment. That's a big compliment, and I, I want to echo that. Um, uh, you know, I started seeing you more recently, and it was great meeting you. And you're definitely I view you as a next gen leader, uh, promoting such innovative concepts to compliance and ethical uh, ethics professionals and HR professionals. Um, love your your concept of. Uh, really building the ROI case for compliance and ethics professionals and taking more credit than we usually take uh, credit for. Yeah. Um, as, as for me, um, I, I just, I started to realize, you know, um, it goes, our, our profession can go beyond just the black and white rules. And I, I, I see, I, I've seen this, I still see this, I still hear this that you know i don't want to deal with my compliance professionals I, I don't want to talk to them they usually just say no i've seen compliance professionals where they'll give guidance to their business partners that are very confusing and sometimes <laughs> i would even read it and say like i, I don't understand what's the next step here <laughs> you know right. and um I, I think that's a real unfortunate case because a great compliance professional who's integrated enterprise-wide or in their certain areas has, uh, has a great opportunity here to have a broader scope to connect the dots, connect the dots with, with the regulations and what you can't and can't do. It's not always what you can't do, but it's actually what you can do. Yeah. Right. And as a, as a person with the regulatory Intel and knowing what's coming down the pipeline as a proposed rule, and then as an actual rule and hearing about it very quickly, usually one of the first people in the organization, you could actually introduce new opportunities and business opportunities exactly. to your own organization and leaders that they weren't even thinking about. Yep. Because you're paying attention to the industry in a certain aspect, you're getting this regulatory intel, you know how it works in the operations. If you're more, if so th this also takes a, another step for a compliance professional to really understand their business. Yep. You have to understand your business. If you understand your business, and, and I, I remember uh, the chief compliance officer at uh, one of the first organization I worked at, you know, she, she told me, listen to the financial earnings. And back then I was like, oh, you know, wh why, why do I need to listen to the financial earnings? You know, how's that in my position going to do so much? But, you know, now- Great advice, right? It's like, no, like, what are, where's your company going? What are they trying to do? What are their main priorities? Yep. How does that align to your role? You hopefully have a good view of many different departments or even enterprise wide. You know what regulations apply. You know what's coming down the pipeline. You're talking to different people. You can be a change maker. You can be a dot connector right. on how all these things work. You connect people together. You make things happen and you get, you get, you solve problems and you get things done. Um, and so, you know, 
maybe sometimes it's the opportunity working in a small organization and being able to wear multiple hats. Um, but you know, you could take that to a larger organization and certain projects as well, the same concept. But you know, just just you know, connecting your knowledge, your capabilities, your principles, and compliance, um, and making things happen in the operations, moving things forward, identifying the risk and the issues that need to be resolved, the, right. the stakeholders that need to be included. You know, without being you know even a not like a project manager, but you you can just do so many different things and connect the dots and move things forward in such an effective fashion that uh, I, I just feel like. Uh, we still haven't fully grasped, you know, the what 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 uh, a great compliance professional can bring to the table of organizations. Well, what I find is that people are so uh, there's a certain aversion to like, well, why would I go to that earnings call? I don't, you know, they're going to be talking about a bunch of finance stuff that I don't understand, and such a small proportion of that call is actually finance stuff. It's business stuff. It's about what's going on, and yeah, it's rooted down in numbers because that's what the analysts are looking at, but. All those things are manifestations of what's going on in the business. And to your point, first of all, it's all in English, so you can understand it all, okay? <laughs> Second of all, yeah. they're not talking about um, financial models as much as they're talking about, like I said, sort of what's going on in the business. And just those insights into what's actually top of mind for guys and what they care about and so forth are going to, if nothing else, give you a glimpse into the risk profile and the risk appetite of an organization to allow you to run that algorithm that, that we were talking about a couple minutes ago a little bit better, right? To understand what that risk, you know, appetite for the organization is. And the quicker you can get sort of accurate on that, the quicker you can provide the types of insights that are not only going to be good for your own career, right? So that you can actually, um, you know, not, not be that obnoxious um, ethics and compliance officer who's not sort of actually adding value, but rather you know, kind of thread the needle a little bit better. Um, yeah, I love that advice. I think that's that's uh, actually phenomenal advice. Um, in the And, you know, we're getting close to the end here, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, we didn't get to talk about FTX. We didn't get to talk about sort of governance in the sort of context of, uh, of, of ESG. Um, but in our, so I want to dive into that, but like in our webinar that we did on the ethics verse, um, Neil said something super interesting, which I just loved. And I've been like saying it over and over again, that like, it's all ethics at the end of the day. Compliance is ethics, ESG is ethics, sustainability, whatever that means. You know, he said, that's a very bizarre word to use because Wall Street can't say ethics. So they say, you know, they say sustainability or they say, um, you know, ESG. Obviously the G in ethics is, or the G in ESG is all about governance, you know, to the extent that that's a big umbrella. Let's talk about FTX or let's talk about Theranos and let's talk about sort of how, uh, an ethics and compliance officer could have played a bigger role there and what, you know, impediments they may have met given the, you know, uh, the leaders there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting what tables the leaders of organizations want their compliance officer to be at. Yeah, that's great. And so there's only so much you could do if you're just completely blocked out of certain types of decision-making right. and, um, you know, analysis that's happening inside the organization. And so that's why I find it critical that, you know, and I, hopefully the industry can bring more, more attention to it too. And, you know, unfortunately it happens after a company gets in trouble, then they get into these integrity agreements where then the you know uh, compliance officer cannot report to certain individuals 
you know, and you know, there's there's a direct line to the board and direct line usually as a senior management position. But um, I, I think I think you know, compliance professionals, you know, this is these type of organizations have and incidents have happened before, and you just you know you want to try to do the best job you can, you know, assessing what the business model is, what the risks are, what type of activities your organization is doing. You yeah. want to talk to people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really difficult situation where, you know, sometimes you hear the compliance officer, uh, you know, is put in a very tight spot where sometimes they leave the organization and you might have to make that tough decision in your own career one day. Um, if you feel like it's no longer the right position for you to be in because you're just not being able to do your job appropriately as an independent, it should be somewhat of an independent uh, entity trying to make sure, you know, that your organization is doing the right thing and you can advise appropriately. Um, and Nick, one thing, I, I one other thing I want to bring up was a di almost a similar, but a uh, different angle also was um, thinking about all this investment that's happening totally. with these startups. Totally. And a lot of times, you know, there's certain uh, individuals that do this type of due diligence but well, that's about, the wildest part, dude. I mean, yeah. I mean, these weren't people just like, you know, walking through a casino, throwing a couple chips on black. I mean, these are large funds that have a whole team of quote unquote smart people that are looking, you know, looking at yeah. the engine to make sure it's running right. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt and, you. And, and, and I wonder in the future, and especially in this current day environment where money's a little tighter right now with the impending recession or we're in a recession that, um, is there opportunity to tap into more of the compliance and ethics professions and governance to do a little bit more critical analysis on the on the front end before yeah you know your your funds start to invest billions and millions of dollars into these entities that are you know have this great story but you know are they really having the appropriate controls and processes in place to really be sustainable long term um, and so that's an interesting concept. It is an interesting concept. And at some level, it's kind of mind boggling uh, that, you know, all that money was able to pour into both of these organizations uh, at some level uh, without these kind of things getting sort of asked about, right? That governance thing seems like so, you know, so super basic. Um, also, it's like, you know, kind of to your point, none of the lessons from Theranos were learned and none of the lessons from the thing before that were learned for Theranos to allow, you know, to happen. So it's going to keep going. Our profession is a great a great one to be in because uh, knowledge work economy, people are uh, the thing and uh, the added complexity means that there's so much more, you know, opportunity for things things to go wrong. Uh, yeah. Man, I could really talk to you all day, dude. It's been um, been a great episode as I knew it would be. Um, what do you think is next? What's next for you? Where can people find you? What are you excited about for next year? Yeah. Um, people can find me on LinkedIn through my name, Naka Surfi. Um, hopefully I'll be, uh, you know, uh, trying to push a little bit more content if I find the time to, um, and yeah, I, I don't know what the future holds, Nick. I, uh, continue to want to make some positive impact in the healthcare field. I think it's a really great time to really integrate the uh, digital health and technology pieces with our healthcare industry. And so, you know, that's where I'll be. 
and um hopefully uh staying connected with you as well absolutely man seeing you at events and uh staying in touch i really appreciate the opportunity nick thanks so much for having me yeah i'm glad you glad you joined us man it was a lot of fun um let's definitely stay in touch and uh to all of our listeners thank you for joining us on this uh episode of the ethics experts the coolest fastest growing ethics and compliance podcast in the world see you next time that was great man Yeah, that's been great.